You guys love Pappy. A lot of you like Blanton's. And they taste very different from one another, even though they're made by the same distillery. So I figured this is a good opportunity to teach you about bourbon flavor variants. So stick around. So before we get into today's episode and our special guest, I wanna give you a quick invite to go over and check out our Patreon. If you love this kind of content, we've got even more available for those who wanna support this channel and get more involved. We're gonna be doing single barrel picks. We're gonna be doing some behind the scenes stuff. We're gonna be doing some private Zooms. There's gonna be a lot of added value. We're gonna keep doing this YouTube channel for you, but if you want that next level content, you're gonna to wanna to go check out our Patreon, link in description below. So a lot of people like to ask the question of why do bourbons taste different from one another? Bourbon is one of the most highly regulated spirits in the world. And it makes it so that as a distiller, you don't have a ton of options that you can use to influence your flavor but yet they still taste very different from one another. And so what I've decided to do is invite my good friends from Belfort Spirits to come. We have Dane and Reagan. And Dane here is the distiller for Belfort Spirits and he's gonna help us break down some of these process differences and how it affects flavor. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Randall. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah, very excited. I've been trying to have you all on for so long. and Give us an excuse to drink some whiskey with you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and we just had to wait for Daddy to get out of town, and we could, <laughs> we could jump over. Right. <laughs> have some fun. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Belfour Spirits is a family-owned business. Uh, the patriarch, Ed Belfour, from Hockey Hall of Fame, the legend, brought the Stanley Cup here to the Dallas Stars. And here we are in Dallas, they still live here, and I've gotten to know these guys, they're awesome and I love their products, but they do have some background knowledge that's gonna help us to break down this topic. So let's jump into it. So the first thing that we need to discuss when we're trying to talk about the difference between Blanton's and the Van Winkle line is the mash bill, okay? So the Van Winkle line is a weeded mash bill, so they've taken out the rye and they've put in um, wheat instead of the rye. Mm -hmm. And so in you guys' experience, what's, what's that gonna do to, to a whiskey to change its flavor? Well, uh, all I know is wheat is sweet. So typically when you're gonna get that weeded you know, influence into a bourbon, you're gonna have a little bit more sweetness. Rye, as uh, many you know Canadians are familiar with, you're gonna get that hot spicy. So I'll let Dane touch a little more on that, but I just remember the rhyme, wheat is sweet. I couldn't have said it better. Um... When you pair corn and wheat together, it's typically super sweet. And uh, when it comes to aging things out, uh, I believe they tend to go the distance a little bit better. Um, the rye grain is a little bit more of a vol volatile grain, mm -hmm. which will give you much more maturity in younger years. Um, that's why you can pull out a rye whiskey or, or a, a rye mashed bourbon that's a little bit more mature at a younger age than a weeded bourbon mash, if you will. Yeah, so I like to tell people if you're looking at a rye whiskey, you can get a well-rounded rye whiskey at four to six years old. But for most bourbons in most aging climates, I'm looking at six to 10 years old to really be in that sweet spot. For these two particular whiskeys, the mash bill difference, uh, they don't actually disclose mash bill at Buffalo Trace, but there's a lot of information out there. So their wheat mash bill is 16 to 18% uh, wheat and their corn mash bill uh, for this one, which is mash bill two, because there's two uh, rye-based mash bills, is rumored to be 12 to 15% rye. Uh, so not super high, like you know you see at MGP with you know 21% rye or 36% rye. Uh, so it's in there. So it's more of a flavoring grade. So another element that can affect flavor is how you run the still. 
but in this particular instance, both of these whiskeys are made on column stills, and I believe that they have the same protocols. Um, but just for edification, what could you do differently when you're running a still that's gonna influence its flavor? It's a great question, Randall. Um, to me, the possibilities are kind of endless uh, in that regard. Um, low and slow. Um, I prefer running the equipment a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. um, it allows me to focus on specific proof points. Um, within every single uh, proof point, there's a molecular identity there. So if you hone in on a, a window of proof points, because the equipment will always fluctuate and variate, uh, and you'll have a standard deviation from a proof point that is set. And you're always going to want to be conscious that you are using a fuel source in a sense that is always depleting. Um, ethanol or alcohol is going to start evaporating at 163 degrees, 164 degrees Fahrenheit right there. And you know, as we push all the way up to 212, we're going to start bleeding into water, of course. Um, so during distillation, you can apply a specific amount of temperature. And also you have a a gallon per minute feed rate, which also will change the way that the equipment is, is functioning. You definitely want it to, to, to start functioning like cruise control. Mm -hmm. You don't want to force it into anything and you just want it to kind of tell it, tell you where it needs to go with your specification of a proof point, of course. Yeah. And another interesting point that's going to have maybe the largest impact on flavor variants between different bourbons is the aging environment. And so agree with that, Randall. these two, um, the, it, all of the Blantons spend at least some time in Rickhouse H. And all of the Rickhouses for Buffalo Trace are brick exterior Rickhouses. And that's going to cause the temperature to change slower inside the aging environment, except for one. And there's one ironclad building there that was built just after Prohibition because they needed space quickly to start aging whiskey. And that's Warehouse H, and that's where Blanton's was kind of discovered because these barrels were aging a little bit faster and they were able to find some six-year barrels that sure. had character that they normally don't see until higher ages in their brick warehouses. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about aging environment. I, I think that's something amazing to comment on, Randall. It's something that is definitely not talked about often enough in the industry. Um, where your locations of the barrels are within the rack houses, uh, how much sun is hitting that rack house on a regular consistent basis. Um, your temperature swings throughout the seasons. All, 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 anything that can cause a, a variation or a deviation from what you set as the standard will ultimately alter your flavor profile. Mm -hmm. um, look at how cognac barrels are stored. Typically in subterranean levels, they want less of a temperature fluctuation and that's gonna help hone in on specific esters that will give you that wonderful fruity profile within the spirit where you can kind of do the same thing with bourbon. Um, if you if you house bourbon barrels at, at at lower subterranean levels, absolutely, they're gonna start to develop more of a fruity note within the profile of the barrel. You put it up top and you let it, it get exposed to those, those intense temperature swings, you're gonna notice a lot more of those burnt caramelization and toffee notes really getting exploited within to the bourbon. With, um, as, it's, as it's aging in and out of those porous grains of the oak, it's gonna extract something every day. Now, scientifically, can I prove that every single day is something happening? If I get nerdy enough and look close enough, <laughs> yeah. yeah Dane's but, gonna be in there with like know, a microscope. Yeah, at the you, you can, but it collectively over time is what makes the ultimate difference uh, and, yeah, and how well, our palate also, receives it. Not just, you know, the physical building structure or where it's in that, you know, rack house, but also 
physically in you know the United States. Yeah, so right. Yeah, obviously yeah. humidity, yeah, temperature gonna, swings. If you're going to be in a much Absolutely. more humid environment, drier environment, like you know, so our first twelve barrels we actually aged in Colorado, and then the rest of our barrels have all been aging in North Carolina. So that's going to have undeniably an, there's a difference. That's going to have an impact the on the flavor between. You could do the exact same thing as you did in Colorado and do that in North Carolina and it might come out entirely differently. Yeah, a, a great example, um, let's let's look at the Scots. Uh, you know, we arguably have four or five different regions within the overall country of Scotland and undeniably they're implementing flavor profiles that are different from the next. Let's extrapolate that and look a little bit larger. The United States is no different. What one distiller and rectifier is doing out in Washington, you give them the exact same protocols to follow and you put another distiller to the test, let's say out in Florida or, or Texas or, 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 in, or in Tennessee and, and you have them follow the exact same protocols and undeniably you'll find that in time there is, there's always going to be a difference. Um, just the natural yeast and bacteria and enzymes that are floating around in each region is enough to deviate a flavor profile from one region to the next. Yeah. Your evaporation rate, everything. So yeah. obviously it's changing your proof points within that barrel. So it all plays a factor. And to go even, I don't know what your next segue was, but <laughs> to go into the barrel specifically, like our, you know, I feel like our biggest, um, you know, very meticulous thing that we focus on is our wood selection for our barrels and our barrel profiles. And so uh, our, we call our dad the mad scientist. He is a nut for focusing on where the wood came from, you know, the type of toasting, charring, all those profiles. But then also, you know, Dane is more, I'd say the mad scientist on the distillation process and mm -hmm. the proof points of on the still and you know barrel proof entry and all that, that kind of stuff. Right. So it's kind of funny how they always argue, oh well, this accounts for sixty percent of the flavor. <laughs> right, right. like, no, 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 I think it's more 50-50 or you know sixty forty, whatever. So we always have a little competition of what sure. affects the you know the flavor profile more. I'm like, you know what? I just want to see what tastes good. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm just trying to but, get a little warm here. Right. Yeah, there's just so many factors. Like right now, we're talking about humidity content in a certain environment and if it's you know on the bottom tier or if it's on the sixth seventh eighth tier of you know being racked up so it's just there's so much that goes into it sure so uh randy mm -hmm. which uh, one of the still austin whiskeys is your favorite it's like picking between my kids man yeah it's hard it's hard originally i got to try the musician when it first came out came in this beautiful wooden tube mm. it was a 375 really knocked my socks off yeah and then they hit me with a cash rank version and I was like, lights out. This yeah. is hands down the best Kentucky-esque bourbon to come out of the state of Texas, no doubt. Yeah. Then I go to Whiskey Riot and they got a table and I get to try their rye whiskey. Ooh. And now I can't decide which one is my favorite. You know how we are such proof hounds. I gotta lean toward the cash strength personally, even though it is very hard to say. Mm -hmm. um, the rye is for a non-rye guy. Uh, I love it. Uh, it doesn't overpower you with that rye spice, but it's still well balanced to where it comes through. Um, man, it is hard to choose. So why don't you choose for yourself? Next time that you're out and about, look for Still Austin on the shelf because you will not be disappointed with those big, bold flavors coming out of the Lone Star State of Texas. That's right. Why don't you pick up the whole lineup yeah. and let us know what you think. You can thank us later. Still Austin, Bourbon Real Talk approved. To have a bottle shipped to your door or find a retailer, click the link in the video description.
Well, and that leads to my my next point, which is proof. And oh, yeah. as as a <laughs> producer, um, and Buffalo Trace releases the Blantons at, um, at four proof points that I know of. They have an 80 proof version. Uh, the one that we're used to in the U.S. is 93. The gold is 103. And then the straight from the barrel is just a barrel proof. And they're normally 120 to 125 and 130, something like that. Um, and on the Van Winkle line, they have a wide variety too, like the Lot B's 90.4, um, but the old rip is 107. And, and the different the different bottlings have different proof points. And that's a decision that has to be mm-hmm. made. Somebody, when you're creating the brand, has to taste the aged whiskey that you're thinking about starting this brand with mm-hmm. and decide what proof point are we going to release it at? Well, I think it's more three decisions, right? <laughs> so it's what proof point are we running the still at? What proof point are we entering into the barrel? And then what proof point are we bottling at? Yes. So I agree with that. there's, right. you know, three forks in the road, if you will, of how many times you could change that flavor profile. That's a, a very meticulous statement of you, Reagan. Um, Proof point off of the equipment for me is a game changer. That's night and day difference. That's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, we've if, we've done a, like a a sampling throughout, you know, like whatever point increments of trying to decide what was the sweet spot. Right. And it's it, it it's amazing important. how much of a difference. Especially it makes. when you're doing sweet mash, undeniably, uh, because every mash you're gonna do uh, has a little bit of a of a deviation from from the mash uh, before. So your proof point. You might not be as active at, at that same proof point as you did your distillation run before, and or maybe you got 10 degree difference during that day, and, and that's all going to pan out into a variable within that algorithm that you're trying to limit variables in a sense. Um, that's the closest way you can get to doing something in another batch, is, is following all of your steps and minimizing variable from step to step throughout throughout your entire protocol. Mother Nature is too much of an overall variable for you to be able to do the exact same thing every single time. You'll right. drive yourself mad. Don't do it. I look like this for a reason, <laughs> ladies and gents. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, but obviously if you're working with way greater volumes, you know, like the big guys, they have so many barrels that they're going to have a consistency enough that when they blend them all together, they're creating a consistent product. But right. when you have the craft guys that are doing, you know, only a few barrels here and there like you know it's gonna have that mother nature influence a lot more sure and that actually brings me to the the next point and that's barrel selection Mm -hmm. and something that we've been talking a lot about because um buffalo trace makes um all of the weller lineup and william larue weller and all of the van winkles all off of this one weeded mash bill and uh, for Buffalo Trace Mash Bill 2, there's also a number of SKUs that they make out of this. And so part of what makes the flavor variance is they're tasting these barrels and they're sampling them. And then they're going, this one I think is a good fit for this line. And this one's a good right. fit for this line. Is that something that you guys deal with? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Randall. It's a great question. Um, just to put into perspective what we do at Belfour Spirits, uh, because of perhaps who our father is who he is, um, everything's a competition. Um, <laughs> so we have about eight or nine uh, different cooperages that we utilize, um, depending on a specific Well, and then different point. barrel profiles within those cooperages exactly. too. Exactly. So. so we are not toast and char specific. Um, or where the wood sourced from, y- yeah, everything. W- the reason why we're so meticulous on that is we are now competing specific 
barrel manufacturer, Cooperage, with another one, and this specific mash bill with this specific yeast strain, with this specific proof point that we're running off the column and, and as far as a barrel entry. So Dad and I and Reagan are ultimately crazy enough to, to compete the, the Coopers down to a specific age and, and that kind of a profile whether it be a light toast and a, you know, a char three versus a medium toast and a, and a char three. Like we've gone every single char. Oh, you should see my inventory spreadsheet. <laughs> it is like, it's absolutely insane. I've got it like color coordinated like a mad person too. So it's, they're like trials it's really, just, you know, yeah. it's a lot. Well, uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention that's a big difference between these two is age. Um, so, between us or between the um, <laughs> three years? I, yeah. I am not willing to have that conversation because <laughs> uh, I actually don't know uh, which one is older and I'm not willing to guess. Um, We're twins. Yeah. Well, I could. Three I could, years apart. I could see it. I could see it. So uh, this product is typically aged about six years um, in the hotter environment. Mm -hmm. So arguably it gets a little bit more wood exposure sure. and maturation. Um, and then these products are the ones that are on the table are 10 and 12, but the pappies themselves are 15, 20 and 23. And so let's talk a little bit about age and uh, more specifically uh, over age, over extraction, because in my opinion, um, the Blanton straight from the barrel and gold tastes better than Pappy 20 and 23. Yeah. And, and there's a reason for that. Sure. So, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I feel like my biggest frustration in this industry is lack of awareness or knowledge around that topic specifically. So many people think like older equals better. Right. And, and that's, that's from Scotch, I think. And I think it's, it's not I would agree with that. Yeah, there's obviously there's going to be some products that taste way better at a certain age, but I do think that there is. As, yeah, like what you know, our dad has said the the phrase over oaked. Right. Yeah. So it's just there is a point where you can sure. get too far, and you really had a sweet spot at a younger age. But because I think the influence of marketing, people think, oh well, it's got to be X amount of years. Sure. So it's it is a frustrating point though when you are maybe a little bit of a younger, uh, yeah, in a younger situation like us, and we're still quality whiskey, but people think yeah. if it's too young, then it's not. Quality. It's a very so. fine line. Um, you can make young whiskey that tastes great. Um, I, I would never want to lie about how old I am. I've been in situations like that where it hasn't turned out so well, perhaps. <laughs> and, you know, you know, maybe maybe a few more of us have been in situations like that. And in a sense, what I'm trying to say is disclose honesty. Um, I can tell you right now, I, I our family's got about maybe 1,200 barrels between October and February that'll all be turned five years old and that's all distillate that we've made as Belfours. Mm -hmm. um, we've never purchased juice from another producer at all. Um, we've, yes, utilized the aid of their equipment because our family didn't have 20 million bucks to build their own distillery right out of the gate, so we wanted to lay down our own profile. Um, and having said that, if that means at one point I had whiskey that was a day old, Randall, right? You know, right. And, and yeah, I mean, we didn't bottle that, but <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was you know fresh right into the barrel, and you know that was white lightning going into to oak, and then sealing that shut, and I'll never forget, you know, 
cracking it open and seeing what it's like at a year and a half, seeing what it was like at two and a half, seeing what it was like at three and a half. And that's been fun for me to see them grow like children, mm-hmm. you know, or your dog or your cat in this case, because I don't have kids. I've got four cats and a shepherd. So, you know, there's yeah. my crazy mentality. That's why I drink all the whiskey. Yeah. I, I, I don't go to Dane's house because I, I fear for my allergies. <laughs> that's fair. I've got cats, you know, and I see how they age. Well, I see how the whiskey age and it's, it's silly. You just got to give it time and then they, they learn a new characteristic. They, na- they learn a new personality trait. Uh, for me, Randall, you touched on it earlier, a four to six year old whiskey, by God, that's a damn good territory for drinking. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. You know, and then uh, specifically with rye in the mash. And then, you know, breaking on through to the other side, Jim Morrison style, let's get from seven to 10, you know, corn and wheat, you know, let it let it age a little bit longer. And I'm proud to say that I've got weeded bourbon that we laid down, you know, our 60, 30, 10 mash bill. That's straight up original gangster stuff. Right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. I mean, I want to make something that people have been drinking for over a hundred years and they're going to say, wow, yep. Those boys did it, and you know, with a little bit of a different flair, you know, a little bit of a different twist or a twang there that reflects our identity, and you know, then we'll we'll start doing other stuff too. I've Dad and I and Reagan like we've got other mashes that that don't have weed in it because we're rye guys at heart. So of course, you know, we're toying with all of this other stuff to to give our drinkers at home a different reflection and profile of what we are capable of. That's half the fun in this industry is getting curious and trying to pull a rabbit out of your hat right you know right. let's let's try something new let's, let's do something different and so while bourbon is a very restrictive category mm-hmm. if you are in the industry you do have a lot of decisions to make and it is going to affect your flavor um, and since you guys were kind enough to come on i'd love to give you all the chance to talk a little bit about what you all do yeah. and so uh reagan what uh bottles do you guys have that are out there in the public available for purchase now uh well if we want to pull them Slide down them over. <laughs> sure. so one of our core products is our bourbon uh finished with texas pecan wood so we actually this is a weeded mash bill so this is 60 percent corn 30 percent wheat 10 percent malted barley and so we wanted to have you know, we all live in Texas and we don't have, you know, operations. We operate here, but we don't have any distillation here in Texas or aging in Texas. So we wanted to have something to tribute to, you know, the fact that we all live here and love it here. So we added um, actual Texas pecan wood that's been um, cut down to like, as you can see, like so, has a honeycomb pattern it to increase surface area, but then it's also been toasted to a certain specification. And so this is actually injected. They're usually about this long and there's about six pieces. Um, So they'll be injected into the barrel for the last two months of aging. So it really changes the way that the product finishes out. And so, you know, we wanted to have something that was a little unique. And and to my knowledge, there isn't another pecan wood finished bourbon out there. There's pecan flavored whiskeys that are, you know, artificial syrups and whatnot. This is not that. This is, you know, Texas pecan wood the state tree baby going in there <laughs> and, so, and i will tell you i drink this when i eat barbecue oh yeah, Hell yeah so a lot of people <laughs> like to like you know smoke it with their brisket or they'll put it in desserts and so thanksgiving we usually add it to pecan pie so even though it's not physical pecan you still get those pecan essences Notes, yeah. from you know the wood which is kind of amazing to think about the science behind that but yeah so that's one of our core products is the the bourbon whiskey finished with texas pecan wood and then we have, is this our... That's the rye. Okay, small so this is rye. actually our small batch straight rye. This is our latest um, 
Vanna White for you guys. <laughs> um, this is our latest addition to our family lineup. So um, we have two small batches here that we're showing you guys. There's actually our small batch straight rye, which is our most recent, and then our small batch straight bourbon, which we released last year. So both of these, and as you were saying, uh, highly regulated for creating bourbon and rye. There's a lot of rules around that. Um, they have to be aged in brand new uh, North American white oak barrels. They can't be reused. Like if you reuse a barrel, then it's, you know, whiskey or there's other companies, like, you know, rum will use a whiskey barrel or to make aged rum or tequila. Gummies, tequila, you know, so, yeah. scotch. So they can, you know, reuse our bourbon or rye barrels, but we can't reuse them to make bourbon and rye. So that's, you know, a heavy, heavy regulation on creating that. But there really isn't a, a strict guideline around calling something a small batch. Right. So, <laughs> so it's a marketing term. Yes. Yeah. But that's why when we did ours, we wanted it to be a true small batch. And so that's why when you'll see our literature, it <laughs> says true small batch. <laughs> so why we say that yeah. is because when we did our first small batch, which was the small batch straight bourbon, and just to jump back about the differences of uh, barrel, uh, barrel profiles versus, you know, mash bills and everything. So our pecan bourbon and our small batch straight bourbon is actually the same mash bill. They're both the weeded um, 60%. Uh, corn, 30% wheat, 10% yep. malted barley, but entirely different barrel profiles. So these came from a different cooperage than where these came from. And then even further, there were three different profile variations that blended together to make that small batch. Gotcha. So there were only 95 barrels that went into this product, which made about, what, 3,500 cases, six-pack cases? You're the about? numbers, gal. Yeah, so... You put me on the spot I think, right yes, now. About, it was about 3,500, <laughs> six, uh, 750, you know, six-pack cases. Um, so four and a half liters, you know, the industry's nine liter, whatever. We like to make them six packs. Make them work for yeah. six packs. We, yeah. we want six packs aspiring in our booze and, and, you know, in our bodies. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, um, so we've got, uh, this was our first small batch. 95 barrels went into that and we are not recreating it. So we do not yeah. have the exact same barrel profile, even in our inventory, to recreate that. Hmm. So when we came out with that, we we're like, this is one and done. So if you have it out there and you have it as a collector item, like... One day that will be the only bottle that's left, you know? And so we wanted to emulate yeah. the same thing the next year for our rye. So we did, this was 95 barrels, this was 93 barrels. Wow. And so again, this is our 70% um, rye, 20% corn, 10% malted barley. That's our rye mash bill. We've actually never really tinkered with our rye mash bill. I feel like we got it's a winner. Faithful. Yeah, I we got that. a winner right there from the start. And so our regular rye is also the same mash bill. And then the um, limited edition that has the the cup on the top that you may have seen in the box. I can't call it a certain cup for legal reasons. Right. So it's it's very beautiful. It's the Belfort cup. And um, that is the same mash bill as well. But as I said earlier, that's what, you know, Dane distilled in Colorado. Right. So entirely different, you know, influences of Mother Nature coming into that product. So again, this one, though, our small batch straight rye, most recent release, we're excited about it. Uh, 93 barrels went into that. We did this at a 99 proof. It, it drinks. It, so it's my, it, we got 92 it, it, proof over here. It's your for, favorite. Yeah, yeah, it is. 92 <laughs> proof for the pecan bourbon. We got a 99 proof for the small batch straight rye. And then 100.5 proof for the small batch straight bourbon. So you wanted to talk about being meticulous and having, you know, very attention to detail. That's even a half point half increment of, of proof point. on there. So it's that's 50.25%. What y'all don't know is that their dad, even though he was like a professional hockey player, is like has the most meticulous like oh, yeah. outlook and like countless iterations of this bottle. 
trying that's, to get everything created. That's one of the like, reasons they call them crazy Eddie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so my Rambo. my plug for the brand is that you know they are a celebrity brand, and a lot of celebrity brands just get written off. But what they did was not what most celebrity brands do. Most celebrity brands go out, they have somebody source BS whiskey, they slap their name on it, and they make as much money as they can. This group right here took the the financial resources to create their own whiskey from day one, to have a custom bottle made, which is a very expensive decision to do as a new brand. And they invested the money because they were in it for the long haul. This Mm -hmm. wasn't just about a money grab. And so this is why this is, you know, Thank one of the brands Randall. that I consistently, you. you know, have around. Um, I I will admit that when it first came out and your product was, you know, two years or younger, yeah. um, it was a little bit expensive. But mm-hmm. at the scale that you guys are, are, are producing at and the custom bottle and the labeling and the packaging and everything, it's a solid pour. So where can people uh, find Thank it? Thank you, Randall. Yeah, so we um, here in Texas, we're in you know all the total wines in the North Texas region. So we're in, we're getting into specs. I feel like specs has been a little more challenging for us to get into, but we are in some of the specs. We're in all the goody goodies in Texas. Um, so we aren't across the U.S. So we are in um, 17 states now, and I we keep getting people chomping at the bit to get us in Canada, but. We're trying. Yeah. So we're trying to get up to Canada. <laughs> Eventually we'll get up too. there as yeah. well because that's, you know, part of our other homeland is Canada. And so eventually, but we're, you know, we're a small team. So we're just trying to, you know, grow naturally and at the right pace that we can. And so, but we can also now that because we are only in 17 states with physical distribution, you know, on retail, we also launched an online store just in the last couple of months. So that is uh, what you just go to belfortspirits.com yeah. and you can click on shop on there and find it online. So we don't have all of our products online right now, but we do have the pecan bourbon, our 94 proof rye whiskey, and then our small batch straight bourbon is on there. Okay. So yeah, yeah belfortspirits.com. And social media? Oh or- yeah. Instagram is my favorite medium. It's uh, just bel- at belfortspirits. So we also have Facebook, we got Twitter, LinkedIn, all those fun things, but I'm I'm 30 years old, so I'm partial to the Instagram crowd. <laughs> so we all have our we all have our like you know age range of which which platform is our favorite. That's just the one I know how to use the best. So. I'm, I'm 45, so I hate them all. <laughs> I'm 33, but Yay. I'm on Facebook. We talked about the age so. of whiskeys. We got to talk about ages of us now. There you so. go. Well, hey, we're transparent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're transparent on their uh, labeling as well. So that's good. Thank you, Randall. Yeah. So if this is your first time tuning in, I'd like to thank you for watching the show and also let you know a little bit about our philosophy. We're all about bringing people together around spirits. And that's something that's personally important to me because I lost my younger brother to suicide in 2014. And when that happened, I started to look for ways to create community and connection so that no one would feel alone the way that my brother did when he made that decision. And as I grew in the whiskey enthusiast world, I started to notice how whiskey brings people together. And so part of the reason why I started this channel is I figure if I can get you connected to whiskey, the whiskey will do the rest of the job and get you connected to others so you don't feel alone. Um, but there is kind of an underside to the whiskey world, and that is, you know, online social communities. Sometimes people can be hateful to strangers online. And seeing that hate uh, caused me to realize two things. One, we needed to start Bourbon Real Talk community, which is a troll-free 
enthusiast environment where you can get in there and connect with other people. There's a lot of people doing favors for each other in there, helping each other out and just really loving on each other and creating a family feel. Um, but the other thing that it taught me was that if that person could be hateful to you online, even though they really don't know you, there's nothing that keeps me from loving you online, even though I don't really know you. And that's why I end every podcast the same way. And that's this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. We'll see you next time. I'm Bourbon Real Talk. Hey, nice hat. Hey, thanks. Nice lanyard. Nice rocks glass. Thanks, man. Nice travel case. Nice blend topper. Thank you. Nice candle. Nice bottle bag. Thanks, man. That's a nice tumbler. Nice woman's t-shirt. Thanks. Nice uh, extra schmedium shirt. Get yourself some nice things and get all the compliments that come along with it. Shop bourbonrealtalk.com.